The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. A swing and a pop-up. First base side foul ground playable. Santana makes the catch. The Indians have won the American League pennant. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the seventh consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress throughout the 2017 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening everyone and welcome to the All-Star break. It is the midway point of the Major League Baseball season as we sit back and talk this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show about what's happening with the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds as we've reached that magical midway point. What are the teams going to do over the next three months? Well, Mark and I are going to talk about that here this evening. And in order to do that, talk about the Reds and the Indians. Of course, we always have to go down south and talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Looking forward to the game tomorrow well. night? Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well, and I think for, for Reds fans, um, <clears throat> I think that the hope level has risen somewhat in the last 30 days with the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, I am concerned about your Indians on a number of levels, um, and I, I think there's a chance that, you know, and I'm not wishing this on anybody, but there's a chance in the second half of the year that the Reds could actually, with some good pitching, exceed expectations. But uh, you'll know better than I, Dave, unless the Indians get some more offensive punch somewhere, uh, they could not hit expectations, preseason expectations. So that doesn't mean they're not going to do well, uh, and certainly better than the Reds. But I, I think the, the, the Reds have made some improvements so far this year. And I think the Indians have a chance to to sew this thing up if they go out and get a little aggressive in the free agent market or maybe the trade market at the deadline. Well, I doubt seriously if the Indians are going to do anything at the trade deadline. <clears throat> the only thing I was thinking the other day, uh, and I want to get into this more in depth, was the only thing I could see the Indians doing is trading Jason Kipnis. That would be the only piece that they would be able to get rid of that they could add a power hitter. They're not going to replace Chisholm Holland Wright. They're not going to find a power hitting center fielder anywhere. They're not going to find anybody that's going to take Michael Brantley's spot in left field. Encarnacion is entrenched at first base along with Santana. You've got Lindor at shortstop. You've got Jose Ramirez at third, but you can move Ramirez to second base and get yourself a power hitting third baseman like and Evan Longoria. If they could put oh. Longoria in that lineup, Mark, and put him behind an Encarnacion or vice versa, I think they've got something going there. Well, you put Longoria in just about any lineup in baseball, and it's going to be a much better team. Uh, who's your DH that you can rely on? Well, you've got Carlos Santana and and or Encarnacion. They flip-flop. Okay. Well, so the Indians have, you know, we're talking about, you know, putting lipstick on a pig here. Uh, <laughs> they've, they've got so much talent that, you know, you're trying to upgrade them in some way. Uh, all they have to do is play to their expectations, and they don't have to do anything. Now, what I heard last night um, on ESPN rather surprised me. Uh, the, the Indians are, are certainly competitive in their division this year. They're, 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 the, the probability is they're going to win the division. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, they may be going over a, a redo already. I mean, the team is five and a half games out of first place. Their starting pitching is getting blistered. Their hitting has been inconsistent. Uh, and the team that, you know, rose from the ashes to win the World Series last year uh, against the Indians, right now, I mean, they are a team in disarray. And at least the Indians are, are a team that uh, is sitting on top of the division. They, they, I don't think they have the lead that they want to have, uh, but th- that, that team is still programmed to win. The question is, will the ownership go out and do anything to ensure that between now and playoffs? Well, let's talk about the two managers. 
First of all, Terry Francona of the Indians. Francona underwent what the Indians termed a major heart situation last week. Now, they expect him back when they go to San Francisco this weekend after the All-Star break to open up the second half of the season. But Francona will not manage the All-Star team. He has not managed the last four games for the Indians. They ran a botany of tests to try to figure out what was wrong with him. They never did really come out and give an answer as to what was wrong with him, Mark. But nonetheless, he has been really inconsistently absent from the Indians for the last two weeks. There have been some games where he's been able to make it entirely through the game. There have been other games where he has he's had to leave early. There's been other games, Mark, that he hasn't managed at all. No matter how you think a manager affects a game, a manager affects his team. And that, Terry Francona is one of the best player managers in baseball today. And Mark, with him being this absent from this team, I I think it's got a lot to do with the way that they've played. Well, it may have. I mean, certainly with the young players, you you could argue that he's going to have much more of an impact with some of the guys that are in their mid or early 20s because your manager becomes your father figure at that point. But just as a side note, uh, what is wrong with him is an irregular heartbeat. I read the article written by, or I guess an interview with his doctor, and the procedure he uh, underwent was an ablation, which they they basically go in and make, you know, an irregular heartbeat means your heart is not hitting it on every beat as it should. I know because I have one. And I looked at ablation as a, as a cure for mine. Mine is chronic. Uh, and ablation may or may not help me, and I don't know how severe his is. Now, I can say any time they put medical instruments in your heart, that is serious. But it uh, it is not a procedure like a open-heart surgery or something like that. It's, it's, it's not that kind of seriousness. So I would expect this uh, ailment he has will be treated, and he'll have a regular heartbeat, and he'll feel better. When you have an irregular heartbeat, you just feel tired. You feel weak. It's hard to focus and concentrate. But it is fixable. So I, I hope, if, if it's only what I read, I would expect that he would be better uh, in a relatively short period of time and be able to return to the bench. Now, the impact on the team, that's very subjective. Some teams don't interface with their manager that much. Others do. And it seems to me that Terry Francona is more of a hands-on type guy. And from what I've heard, your description is accurate. He's very much of a player manager. Uh, the, the guys, you know, they, they certainly respect him, but there's, you know, a friendship there, and he's a guy you go to for help and all that stuff. So at any rate, I, I think he'll be back, and I hope he'll be fine. Talk about the ablation the thing that you just brought up that Francona underwent. You seem to know a little bit about it. What is it, Mark? Well, basically they go in, and I, again, this is not a doctor talking here. It's, it's a guy who talked to a doctor who was going to, I was going to have ablation. And what they do is go in and cut out certain nerves in your heart so it, it beats more regularly. Because when you have, it's basically it misfires. That's what's happening with your heart. Rather than one, two, three, four heartbeat, you'll have one, two, three, four, or something like that. So ablation, they go in and they they use a laser, and they they do procedures that make your heart beat regularly. Now, not all ablations take. In other words, I've, I have friends of mine who have had two, three, and four ablations because they it, it's an imprecise science in terms of what they're trying to do it does work on a lot of guys or a lot of people uh, and on some it doesn't i've had some who had it three or four times and their heart is still out of rhythm but an, an out of rhythm heart is it, there's a wide degree of severity in that some people have a you know a very minor um, kind and some have a very serious kind which can can kill you but most of the people who have it live with it for a long time so ablation came around as a procedure that got your heart back in rhythm. 
And uh, that, when I read the article, I remember talking to my doctor about that, and a lot of the terms they used in the article were things I was familiar with because I, I looked at it closely and decided, you know, I, I decided not to do it. Mm-hmm. But it, it sounded like to me like, of course, the Indians are not going to delve into bad news. They're They're going to take the high road with this. They're going to explain it in a way and keep everything out of a positive nature. That being said, the way the Indians have described it and the way that I'm reading things, Mark, this, although it could have been serious, they caught it at a good time and were able to really fix the problem. At least they feel like they've fixed the problem to where it's probably a permanent solution. Yeah, and I think that would be the case, David, in in, in most situations, that ablation does help uh, a vast number. In fact, I was going to go to the Cleveland Clinic and have it done. I went up there and met with their doctors, and I, I learned a lot about the procedure, talked to guys who had it before, athletes who, who were very active, and I, I still run a lot and, and you know play tennis and baseball and all that stuff. So I wanted to be healthy enough to do that. But after they analyzed my particular condition, and everybody's different, uh, it was considered, well, you know, you're probably okay. You know, you might be a little more tired, a little more winded, but it may not be worth going in for the procedure to do that. In the case of Terry Francona, I don't know how severe his situation is, but what's he do for a living? He manages a major league baseball team. He travels all the time. He's under stress all the time. And I can imagine if you have a severe irregular heartbeat, that would be a debilitating situation to, to, to live with. You're fatigued all the time, you know, and the, the travel alone, you know, is, is people don't understand. It's very, very debilitating, all that travel, in and out of airplanes and hotels and all that stuff. So I, I bet he made a decision, look, I'm going to do this for another 10, 15 years I want to manage, uh, so I want to feel better. I'll go get the ablation. I'll miss a few games, and I'll be back. And I hope that's all it is. He's he's a, he's a good guy, a good manager, and I, you know I wish him all the luck with this thing. And, and I think he has a lot of experience. He, he probably had it done at, at a very good hospital, so I would expect good results. Well, and like we said, the Indians have said that they expect him back when they open up in San Francisco this weekend against the Giants, the second half of the baseball season. Now, when that happens, the Indians will go into the second half of the season, Mark, number one in their division. They're in first place, 47-40, and 40, two and a half games over Minnesota, three games over Kansas City. But that's the bright side. The bad news is the Indians have the worst record of any division leader in baseball. You've got Houston with 60 wins. You've got Boston with 50 wins. You've got the Dodgers with 61 wins, Washington with 52 wins, and Milwaukee in the division that the Reds are in with 50 wins. And like you said, they're five and a half games up over the Chicago Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals, both at 43 and 45. Meanwhile, the Reds are in last place, but still in striking distance at 39 and 49, just 10 games under 500, Mark, as we reach the all-star break but before we get into the reds i want to bring up the second manager you've already talked about him a little bit joe madden you know joe madden is well known and well regarded as one of the top managers in baseball i think probably rightly so he's a good player manager he does a lot of unique things with his lineup with his defense he's credited with being the first one that really over-switched defensively on certain hitters. But you know, Mark, when you go back and you look at his days with Tampa Bay, when he had a team that got off to a bad start, they were never able to overcome it. He was never able to flip the switch, so to speak, with Tampa Bay and get that team going. Last year, you and I could have managed the Cubs and probably won the World Series. I mean, no disrespect towards Madden, but... That's just one of those teams that, you know, it was a magical team, a magical year for the Cubs. That's the way it was. But when you look at Madden this year, he has not been able to push the right buttons at all. And I tend to agree with you about the Cubs. This team 
is totally different than it was a year ago. They don't seem to have the fire. They don't seem to have the intensity. They sent Schwarber down. Arietta is up and down. They don't have the same type of, uh, of camaraderie with their team if you've watched them play, Mark. They just don't seem to be a cohesive unit. And this has been the pattern of Joe Madden throughout the years. If you go back and look at these days in Tampa Bay, when they won one season, they didn't the next. Now, whether it be his fault or not, you've still got to go with the horses. And Joe Madden is one that has never been able to pull a team out of the depths. What do you think? Well, I don't think anybody could manage that team in the first half of this year when you have Arietta, as you said, very inconsistent. Lester and Lackey have been getting pounded. Hendricks has not performed. <clears throat> that team is in desperate need of a pitching upgrade. And, again, I heard last night that they may be in rebuild mode between now and the All-Star break, or between now and the trade deadline, because they that team, with the money they have invested and the team expectations, they're not going to sit around. they got the money to go out there and get a Justin Verlander or a Homer Bailey or, or, or a Johnny Cueto. Those those guys are available to the Chicago Cubs, and I don't think the Cubs are going to wait until the end of the month when they're 10 games behind to make that happen. I would expect the, the, the Cubs, between now and next week, uh, between, say, next Monday or Tuesday, to go out there and get another starting pitcher. And the, the, they will they'll drop a bomb on somebody, and either with cash or with draft choices or with uh, minor leaguers or even guys on their roster that can go out and shore up that starting rotation. Their bullpen's very strong. Uh, their hitting has been spotty, uh, but there's. I, I'm not a big believer in, in having team camaraderie or spirit or liking each other, making for a great baseball team. Um, I, I played in a lot of teams. I've seen a lot of teams in the big leagues. Guys couldn't stand each other, but they went out there and they won, and that's all they care about. It's great when you can have the friendships and, and the clowning around and all that stuff, but that, that, that's a pipe dream. Uh, that, that doesn't happen a lot of times. you got 25 diverse personalities, very competitive, one guy trying to be out another guy. <clears throat> that's not conducive sometimes to really close friendships and, and, and all that stuff. I think it's overrated. What you want are 25 really good baseball players who want to go win. And they can go their separate ways after a game and nobody cares. If you win, it's amazing. You win the World Series like the Cubs did. And everybody says, wow, what great team chemistry. And then a team that uh, is losing, they say, well, there's, there's, there's no chemistry on that team. Well, there's no chemistry because they're getting their butts kicked. That creates a lot of bad chemistry. So, long story short, the Cubs are in a financial position to go out there and get a starting pitcher. And uh, I, I will make you a small wager that one of the three guys I mentioned, uh, Verlander, Cueto, or Homer Bailey, and, and maybe one or two others, are going to be in the Chicago Cub rotation before the end of the year. Well, Homer Bailey turned things around, didn't he? He did. And uh, he looked he looked he didn't look overpowering, but he had control in the strike zone. His, his slider was good. He had some late break on it. Uh, yeah, he, he looked very good. And, you know, for the Reds to compete, they're going to have to go out and, and get starting pitching because in every other capacity, this team is, is very solid. I'm not saying they're the best in the league in anything, but it, it's, it's a very good overall baseball team offensively. And now with the guys they have brought up, this uh, Hernandez kid, he's out of the bullpen. He was throwing, the, the, the other night against Arizona, uh, they're, they're starting pitching, uh, that was Castillo. In the seventh inning, Castillo threw a pitch at 100 miles an hour in the seventh inning. In the eighth inning, Lorenzen came in and threw a pitch at 99. In the ninth inning, Hernandez came in and threw uh, several pitches at 99 and one at 100. And the... <laughs> The Arizona, I think it was the Arizona announcers, or it was uh, Fox announcers, they were saying they had never seen that kind of gas coming out of a bullpen or a, a, of a rotation. You had three guys in a row throwing over 100. So the Reds are developing some young arms, 
And, you know, you, again, uh, you, you take away the, the Bronson Arroyo fiasco, uh, and this team's ERA is not that bad. But right now, they're getting some young arms. And what, what, I, what I hope doesn't happen is a team like Washington. There was an article in the paper today down here in Dayton that Rasiel Iglesias is on their radar because they yes. need a closer. And, you know, the Reds, you know, the Reds may look at Hernandez and say, well, you know what? We can keep Hernandez, get rid of Iglesias, and save a lot of money and maybe pick up, a, a, you know, some good prospects from Washington. I hope that doesn't happen. Uh, the Reds have some really good young pitching, and I think if they're just patient for another year, uh, the Reds are going to be in pretty good shape. Well, what they said, Jeff Brantley, I think, over the weekend said that the Reds have control over Iglesias through the 2022 season. But they may not have any better opportunity to trade this kid than right now because Washington is desperate for a closer. Yeah, and he's probably, I'd say, I mean, yesterday, Iglesias, some of you saw the game, he hit 100 twice and he hit 99 several times. And he's got a, he's got a, he throws a frisbee. I mean, his breaking ball breaks four feet. Uh, and so this guy could be a dominant closer. For a long time, but don't be surprised if somebody like Washington, who might sign him, makes him a starter, because that's what he wants to do, and that's what a lot of teams would look at that arm and say, "Wow, uh, you know, it's just like Chapman was wasted for the Reds being a closer, and Iglesias maybe too. You put him in the rotation, and man, all of a sudden your rotation, you've got Iglesias, you'd have uh, Feldman, um, who else is in there? Um, Adelman. Adelman. Uh, Castillo, Bailey. I mean, that's that's rounding into a, a decent rotation if you add Iglesias to that mix. So <clears throat> the Reds have some hope, and that's what I said um, and we started the show. The Reds do have hope this second half of the season, but they've got to find out who they can count on in 2018. Uh, and if you're going to have a, a young rotation, you've got to find out who that's going to be. And right now it's still up in the air because you know, at the beginning of the year you had Amir Garrett. Uh, he was going to be the next great thing. You had uh, Robert Stevenson. He was going to be there. Uh, and those guys didn't work out. So you've got to find out who you can can count on. And even Brandon Finnegan. You know, he's had a second surgery now in the last two weeks. Is, is he going to be around next year? You don't know. <clears throat> I'm not ready to throw in the towel on Amir Garrett. I'm ready to throw in the towel on Robert Stevenson. I'll agree with you on him. But Amir Garrett, no, I'm not ready to throw in the towel on him yet. Well, I'm not either. I'm not ready to throw in the towel, nor am I ready to say you've got a slot for 2018 because he hasn't shown anything yet. He showed the first two weeks of the season or three weeks in the season he pitched very well. And then he's got actually hammered, and he got hammered in AAA. That's what scares me. He's getting beat up down there. And that's that. That concerns me. And I, I don't know if it's a, an arm problem. He's lost his confidence, or what the what the problem is. But that that is a concerning situation. Well, also, Mark, I, another thing that concerns me is Peraza. The kid can't play shortstop. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, uh, I'd like to argue with you, David, but damn it, you're right. Um, <laughs> he doesn't have the hands for shortstop, and he doesn't have the arm for shortstop. And he's made, in the last, I don't know, last month, I've seen him make three or four or five really bad plays, balls that are relatively easy, uh, and he doesn't have the range I had hoped he'd have. Now, can he play second base? Yeah, but why would you put him at second base when you have Scooter Jeanette, who, <laughs> I mean, this guy on a per-at-bat basis is leading the league in home runs and RBIs. He's got more RBIs per at bat than anybody in baseball, and more home runs. And he's hitting three eleven and playing a good second base. So I, I don't. Think and Peraza has not stolen the bases that everybody thought he was going to steal. So you're right. I don't think he's a shortstop. And if anything would make the Reds sign Cozart to say a three year deal, that's it. That Peraza has not lived up to expectations. Well, I, I mean, I saw yesterday. Homer Bailey walked the first guy in the seventh inning. I thought Brian Price was going to pull him out of the game. And he didn't. He left him in. And Bailey made a good pitch, and the ball was hit sort of up the middle. Peraza drifted to his left. 
The ball hit his glove mark, bounced out. He picked it up, flipped it to Jeanette. They got the runner at second, just missed the guy at first base. If he fields that ball cleanly, not only does Bailey probably get through the seventh inning, but you don't have to waste Lorenzen coming in in that seventh inning. It all compounds itself. You know, these little things that the Reds are doing right now that they have to learn not to do in order to be a consistent winner is is what's going on with this team. Price was forced to bring Lorenzen in in the seventh inning to get the last out. Then he was forced to move Iglesias up an inning in that ball game. You know, it, it all it all happened just because of one little errant boot of the ball by Peraza, which is something that Cozart probably would have never let happen. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Feldman had a no-hitter uh, into the seventh inning. And with two out in the seventh inning, it was a routine, I mean, as routine a ground ball as you could hit uh, to the second baseman, and Peraza booted it. And, of course, the next guy up hits a single and breaks up the no-hitter. So who knows what would have happened had he got that out. He only needed six more outs for a no-hitter. Uh, but he's done that consistently, and he, and he, at the plate, he's always feeling for the ball. He, he doesn't have a a quick swing through the ball, an aggressive swing through the ball, and that's why he had so many fly balls to right field. I mean, they could put, they could bring up the left fielder and put put two right fielders, and the guy would never get a hit. The only hits he has drop in front of an outfielder, over the heads of the infielder. He seldom hits line drive, so. If there's not concern about him, there should be. Now, fortunately, the Reds have a lot of depth of shortstop in the, in the minor leagues. But, you know, maybe Peraza would be a trade chip or putting back to second base, but he is not a major league shortstop. You know, the Indians, they're undergoing their, their same type of injury problem. You know, uh, Kipnis pulled his hamstring in Saturday's game, and then yesterday, Lonnie Chisenhall, came down on his right leg a little awkwardly, and nobody is sure what's going on with that. The MRI results have not been announced as of yet as far as Chisinau is concerned. But then again, the Indians don't play again till this weekend either, Mark. But, you know, we talked about at the beginning of the show, will the Indians do anything? I don't think they're going to. I think they're going to let these injuries settle themselves and just go into the playoffs the way that they have. But as far as the Reds are concerned, Mark, where do they have to be in the next two weeks prior to the trade deadline before they become buyers instead of sellers? I don't think they're going to become buyers either way. Uh, but I think what they may do, uh, if, if they're close, uh, it, it may change their rotation the last half of the year uh, where they might you know, keep somebody like Feldman in the rotation or not trade Feldman. Uh, and see if they can, you know, hang in there. I, I, they're not going to go out there and uh, trade away some young prospect for two or three month rental. They're not. That would be foolish. Now, the, the interesting thing is about the the National League Central. I don't think Milwaukee is much better than Cincinnati. <laughs> you look at their statistics, and I, I just don't. I don't see it. So I think the Reds are going to play probably over 500 ball the second half of the year. Now, that's not going to get you anything because they're not going to make the playoffs as a wild card. You have to win the division in that in that division. But what's going to happen is everybody's going to beat everybody else up in that division. So if you play close to 500 or maybe three or four games over 500 in this division, you could win it. You could win this division four games over 500. And that means if Milwaukee got cold, everybody else – uh, you know, basically gets a little hot. You could, you could have a really interesting race uh, in September in the National League Central. Uh, again, I, I don't think the Reds have a chance. They're nine and a half back. They are eight games back in Milwaukee in the loss column, which is not you know, insurmountable. And they have a lot of games left with Milwaukee. So if they got hot, they get within three or four games. Who knows what could happen? But the Reds aren't going to go out there and become buyers at all. I, I think that... Uh, that notion is out the window, but uh, my my concern is they sell off too many pieces where they could be very competitive in 2018. Well, you know what's interesting, Mark, is you've got two managers in the Central Division who are well regarded around baseball. We've already talked about Joe Madden, Mike Matheny of the St. Louis Cardinals, another manager that's well regarded, but it might be the manager 
who has got the least amount of Major League Baseball managing experience in Craig Council, who may end up directing his team to the division title this year. Yeah, and that that's surprising, and I, I'm kind of I, I like that that Milwaukee has he's come back from you know the, the bottom of the barrel for a while, and and got back into first place. I don't think that is a great team. I think it's a it's a decent team. Again, I don't see much difference at all. You look from team to team in the in National League Central. I think they're all pretty much equal. And right now, going into the second half of the year, if the Reds can maintain their starting pitching. I think their line, lineup, their starting eight are as good as any team in the National League. Forget the Central. I mean, that, that's a very good hitting team. They're going to score a lot of runs. They steal bases. They play excellent defense. they got a good bullpen. So the only thing they've been lacking is that starting pitching. And you could tell, you know, in the last, uh, what, four series, they've won three and, and tied one. Uh, they've played all first and second place teams. And they've done very well because they've gotten good starting pitching. That's true. Well, I want to go into a different aspect, Mark, before we start talking about the All-Star game tomorrow night and a couple of other items around Major League Baseball. Last week, an umpire whom you and I both regard as one of the worst in Major League Baseball filed lawsuit against the sport. Angel Hernandez filed a, law, a discriminatory lawsuit against Major League Baseball, and specifically Joe Torre, one of the vice presidents in charge of umpiring and other aspects of the game for Rob Manfred, the commissioner. Mark, this has got to go down as a frivolous lawsuit. And as far as I'm concerned, and I know it probably can't happen because of the collective bargaining agreement, but I'd like to see baseball take a stand on something. You know, baseball for years has been the most conservative sport. They don't want to take a stand on anything. They want to stand on the fence about everything. They don't want to make a decision on the designated hitter. They don't want to make a decision on interleague play. But they don't want to do something that is going to push some fans away. And on top of that, now they've got Angel Hernandez is going to umpire the All-Star game. My God, Mark, have they watched this guy umpire this year and in previous years? Have they seen that his strike zone is like a cruise ship? It's up and down, right and left, all over the place, like waves push it all over the place. Have they ever watched this guy umpire second base? He, on the In the field, Mark... This guy acts like he is just disillusioned and bored, and he's there to just collect a paycheck. For several years, this guy has been voted one of the worst two umpires in Major League Baseball. It's always been either him or C.V. Buckner. One of the two guys for the last five years has been named the worst umpire, and if he wasn't the worst, he was next to worst. I want to see baseball take a stand on this. I want to see Rob Manfred say, look, you're employed by us. We can't have you suing us if you're employed by us. So we're going to do... First of all, he he, he can't stop them from being sued. He he can't say you can't sue us. You can sue anybody. I I agree with that. But they don't have to put up with it. Well, they could fire him, and then they're opening themselves up for a bigger lawsuit. I, well, I think with a I guy agree like with that, but if all they've got to do is bring in video to show just how poor this guy is as umpire. Well, I think that's what they, they will probably do behind closed doors if, they, if it gets to the point where they get, they get into a trial. You and I have said this for for five or six years. He's the worst umpire I've ever seen. His his behind the plate performance is laughable at times, and I don't know if he's. I'm not being facetious. Does the guy have bad eyesight, or how can you miss some of the pitches that he misses? And when you see the reactions of the players, I mean, they're yeah, they're mad, but they're also incredulous. Like how how can you miss that pitch? Yeah, it, 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 that's what gets me. You look at the reactions of a major league player, and there are roughly. 300 pitches in a, in a baseball game. Um, starting pitchers on both sides and relievers on both sides, it's 250 to 300 pitches. And I'd say, I don't know, 90% of them are close. I mean, they're, they're within, you know, so a pitcher 
or a hitter will say, well, okay, that was in the corner. I didn't like the call, but, you know, the guy's not crazy. But with Buckner and with, uh, uh, what's his name? Hernandez? Yeah, Hernandez. Uh, they miss four or five inches off the plate. Yes. Or four or five inches. And when you look, the the hitter will turn around and say, what? you you got to be kidding me. That wasn't a strike. And then he'll throw him out of the game. Because the, the reaction is so over the top, but it's because the pitch was over the top in terms of how far out of the strike zone it was. And that's when you, you look at the hitter's reaction, that's when you can tell what an umpire is doing or not doing well. Because some, you know, some pitches are close and they could go either way and you'll, you, you still get mad about it when you're the hitter and you're called out on strike three. But, you know, you don't explode. You don't go nuts. You're as mad as you're, at yourself as you are the umpire. But with with Buckner and, and Hernandez, those guys miss pitches that you know a, a little league umpire would get right. Do you remember Tim McClellan? Sure. Okay. How he always stood so far behind the catcher uh-huh. when he was he was umpire. It was he took the attitude, Mark, that he just looked like he didn't want to be there. And that's the same attitude that Ager Hernandez personifies. I just don't want to be here. Well, he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's had one since he came into the league. And usually when somebody has a chip on their shoulder, it's because they know they're not good. That, you know, He's so defensive, you can't say a word to him. He blows up, throws people out of the game just to show that he can. And, you know, I, I think you're when you said – players rated these umpires and the managers when they do that uh you know they're telling the truth <laughs> they're giving it to you straight so i hope they do defend this major league baseball and not let him get away with it because he's, he's just not a good umpire okay all right so uh, let's say that i agree with you that major league baseball cannot fire him i'd like to see them do it i'd like to see them fight that out in court okay because they fired him all right i agree with that but why can't they suspend him until this is done? Well, that I don't he's, know. He's, the yeah, the he's union not was probably, the game right now. I know, and that may be part, as you said, of the umpires' collective bargaining agreement with with Major League Baseball. Maybe they can't, but this certainly is not going to enhance him uh, or endear him to Major League Baseball, nor to the other players. I mean, I can just imagine, uh, you know, if. if <laughs> He makes a bad call, and some player will mention this. Like, well, no, no wonder you're su- suing him because you're yeah. a lousy umpire. Or if he gets thrown out, suspended or whatever, they'll bring that up forever. So, uh, yeah, this is not a good situation, and, and he he's just not qualified to be at the major league level. It took years for Joe West to quit being called a scab. Yeah, I remember that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, hey, and Dave, you know what, Mark? I look. Let me just follow it up with this, and then I'll let you get to your point. John McSherry, Eric Gregg, how many years did Major League Baseball fight with them about their weight? Well, it wasn't just their weight. Eric Gregg, if there was ever a worse umpire than Angel Hernandez, it was Eric Gregg. He was was a horrible umpire, and they let him get away with that for a decade. And I remember that game against Atlanta when he called somebody out because he got ticked off at him. And the ball was three feet outside. He made a mockery of the game, and you know that mm-hmm. that's that's what got him fired. That game. So yeah, I think baseball will take a lot, but eventually this guy will do or say something, and he'll he'll get him. You know, they will nail him when they can. Well, that's my point. You know, baseball fought with these two guys over their weight for years, and the only if you look at the umpires now, Mark, the only overweight umpire is Joe West. But even yeah. Joe West has lost weight. Yeah, I mean, that's, Joe West is a very combative guy, and I, I never was a big fan of Joe West. Uh, big ego, thought, thought he was hot stuff out there, but, you know, it's the empires you don't mention, you don't know their names, that are always rated very high. Mm-hmm. Because they keep their mouth shut, the players respect them, they, and I always liked it if an umpire blew one on me, you know, uh, he would tell me. He'd say, you know, I think I may have missed that pitch. And thank you, I appreciate that because you know if he throws it again, I won't swing at it. You know? Yeah. So, but a yeah. lot of these guys will defend anything they do, no matter what they do, and that's when the players they 
they don't respect that. And a lot of the times the players are not arguing balls and strikes up at the plate with the umpire. They're just wanting to know, okay, is that going to be a strike all night? Is that, you know, that that's what they're questioning. Yeah. It's not so yeah. much the integrity of the umpire. That's right. You know, okay, you wanted to bring up a point. Yeah, I was looking at the red statistics this year, and, and uh, at the first half, it's, it's a good time to do that and see where they are. And uh, I was looking down the numbers, and I, and I found this statistical anomaly that I find almost impossible to believe. And it's with regard to Scott Shebler and and Eugenio um, Suarez. Let me give you some numbers here, and <laughs> you'll know what I'm talking about. They are both hitting 254 exactly they both have three stolen bases they both have 44 rbis they both have 15 doubles they both have 75 hits one has 47 runs 140 they both have 295 at bats they one has 86 games played and one 84 games played i've never seen players <laughs> that have almost identical statistics, starting with the number of bats they have. Both have 295, and everything I mentioned, they are identical in their numbers. And it, I've never seen anything quite like it, but you look up and down the Reds, I was talking about where they are as a team right now, and I'll tell you what, if you if you had Cozart leading off as an example, Cozart leading off hitting 316, You've got Jeanette at 311. You have Vado at 315. Du- uh, Duval 278 with 61 RBIs. Shebler 22 RBIs hitting 254. I mean, th- that's that's a strong lineup, and it's strong all the way down to number eight when you have um, uh, Tucker Barnhart hitting 273. Uh, that, that's that's a lineup you don't want to face. So again, getting back full circle. If, if, with their bullpen and their defense and their offense, the Reds have one missing link, and that's their starting pitching. And what we saw over the last two weeks indicates to me that this team, uh, what you said, they were 39 and 49 right yes. now. I think this team could, could play 500 ball or maybe three or four games over 500 between now and the end of the year, which is going to make them a nightmare for some t- you know, teams in the hunt to play against. Oh, I agree. I, I think this team's got a lot of potential. If they can get consistent starting pitching, all they need is five or six innings out of their starters. That's all they need. With the bullpen that they've got, Mark, as long as they get five or six innings out of their starters and they're still in the ball game when that starter leaves the game, I think they're in good shape. Well, you know, they've only been shut out one time this year. I think they have the fewest, they've been shut out the fewest number of times in Major League Baseball. And it's because up and down the lineup, they've got power. And it's likely they're going to have four guys hit over 20 home runs this year. Uh, and you, you have three guys on pace to hit over, a, not get over 100 RBIs. And that, that's, that's a powerful lineup. I hope they don't break that up. I hope they keep, they keep it there because they've got some young pitching coming up. And I really like what I see. With, with these young Latin pitchers they brought up uh, the last uh, couple of weeks, these guys can throw hard, and they're not afraid of the of the platform of Major League Baseball. Hernandez really impressed me the other night against Arizona. He he was throwing the ball really hard, and he and Castillo remind me of a young Johnny Cueto. They both do, and they have that that, that the rotation that's easily repeated. It doesn't look like they put a lot of strain on their arm. So you have those guys teamed up with Iglesias and, and Lorenzen and, and Peralta came in the other night. Peralta was throwing 100 miles an hour. And that, that's there's a lot of, of, of strength there. Now, I just hope they don't do something stupid and, and make a trade and give away some of that young talent. I hope they don't do that this year. The, you know, as you said, the likelihood is they're not going to win the division, uh, even though they're only eight games behind in the loss column. But... Uh, Right now, the core is there, Dave. I mean, I think next year this team could compete. No, I I agree with you. Mark, the All-Star game is tomorrow night. You know, I I used to care about this. I used to stay up and watch this game, just enjoy it. And anymore, I I just, 
it's kind of an afterthought. Yeah, I agree with you. This year, with Aaron Judge and uh, Stanton in the Indy Home Run Derby tonight, that seems to me to be more exciting than the game itself. I mean, you're going to hit these guys are going to hit a lot of home runs tonight. Uh, I'm, I was really happy that Joey Votto decided not to do that because right now he is the toughest out in baseball, and I hate to see him do. He leads leads the American uh, National League in home runs. Uh, this guy could hit 45, 48 home runs this year. Yeah. So I hate to have him do anything that messes up his swing, and that's what happened to um, Adam Duvall last year. He was having a great year. He went to the All-Star Game home run hitting contest, and he said he admitted he said it messed up his swing for a month. Well, this is the first time in 14 years that the All-Star Game is not going to decide home field advantage. We could thank Bud Selig for that crazy idea about making the All-Star Game the deciding factor in the All-Star Game. But the starting pitchers, Mark, came out earlier this afternoon. Max Scherzer of Washington and Chris Sale of the Boston Red Sox. Well, that's, that's going to be a great matchup. First time a pitcher, Mark, has started two years in a row, Chris Sale, but for different teams. Yeah, that's, that is an amazing. And that's that's a great segue that you just gave me into a trivia question I have for you that you can think of between now and the end of the show. Okay. And it, it has something to do with uh, one of the pitchers you just mentioned. Okay. Name for me, and, and I have not looked this up, and, and this came from Jeff Lowry out in Phoenix, Arizona, our friend out there. And he said, uh, name for me the six pitchers who have won a Cy Young Award in both leagues. Now, I could only think of four that came to, to, to mind for me. I couldn't think of all six. Maybe you can. All right, who are the four? Uh, Roy Halladay. That was pretty easy. Uh, Roger Clemens was easy. Randy Johnson uh, and Pedro Martinez. And then when you mentioned Matt Serger, uh, I think he won both. So that means if he is one, I can't think of one other that did it. <laughs> There's one Clemens missing. and Martinez did. I know that yeah, Halliday did, Clemens did, Randy Johnson's did, and Pedro Martinez did. I know they did. Who did uh, Clemens win it with in the National League? Houston. They were in the American League then. No, no, they were in the National League then. I know Mar- Martinez did not win it in the National League. Uh, I think Pedro did. No, he 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 never was that great a pitcher with Montreal before they traded him. He had a lot of potential, but he didn't win a Cy Young. Well, I thought Pedro did. Gaylord Perry's won. Oh, yes, Gaylord Perry. That's the one I yeah. couldn't think of. Gaylord Perry. Um, that's one. We'll we'll look it up here before the end, but I know Gaylord okay. was one. Um, I thought Pedro Martinez won at both leagues. Let's see. I think Scherzer's won. I know yeah, for Scherzer, Scherzer for sure. I hadn't thought of him until you mentioned his name, and I said, "Wait a minute, yeah, because he, he won. Uh, he pitched in the All Star game t- for two different leagues." Um, but I think yeah. Halliday, Clemens, I know Johnson did. I'm pretty sure Martinez did, although I can't prove it. And I did not think of Gaylord Perry. He, he did, and Scherzer. Really? That that's six. Yeah, you're talking about uh, Randy Johnson, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, let me look this up here while we while we've got an opportunity. Pedro Martinez Cy Young Awards. Um, by golly, you're absolutely right, Mark. He did win it. He won it in '97 in the National League for Montreal, and then won it again in '99 in yeah, the American thought, League with Boston. Well, I knew he won it in Boston, and I thought he won it in Montreal. I wasn't sure. I knew I knew about Boston, but the one I couldn't think of was Gaylord Perry. And um, you know that, that's an interesting sidebar on Gaylord Perry. Okay, people are getting uh, all apoplectic because of uh, performance-enhancing drugs. Well, <laughs> is spit a, a enhancing drug? <laughs> because <laughs> he now he doctored the baseball by his own admission. He won over 300 games. He won Cy Young in, in two in two leagues. Uh, I think he was what number two in strikeouts or number three in strikeouts all time. Uh, this guy pitched a long time, and he cheated. By his own admission, he cheated. He was kind of proud of the fact he cheated. Nobody says a thing about it. 
But if uh, you know a, a hitter goes up there and and he takes uh, you know some kind of supplement before the game, he gets an eighty game suspension. It, it doesn't. The inconsistency to me is is remarkable. I agree. Now here's your here's your trivia question. Okay. Forty seven years ago. The 1970 All-Star Game was held at Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati, and everybody yeah. knows how that ended. Yep. Pete Rose barreling into Ray Fossey and winning the game. What was it, the 13th inning? Yeah, 13th or 14th inning, yeah. 13th. Okay. Who was the third base coach that waved him home? Um, uh, the former – oh, I, I know, I know, I know, I uh, <laughs> know. The former coach for the uh, Giants, Leo DeRocher. Leo DeRocher. Yeah, you know, I I heard an interview with Pete this afternoon, and I knew this story, but Rich Eisen, I heard it on the Rich Eisen show uh, earlier today, he was rather rather incredulous about it. He did not know that Sam McDowell, Ray Fossey, and Pete Rose went out to dinner the night before and then went back to Pete's house. Yeah. Yeah, and and, uh, to this day, according to Pete in this interview, Ray Fossey will not do any card shows with him, and he won't talk about the incident. Well, he talked about <laughs> it on TV the other night. I don't know if he does card shows with him or not. But, yeah, uh, you know, he wouldn't it, do card shows with him. Interesting sidebar on that Leo DeRocher thing. He came within, they said, an inch of touching Pete Rose around, you know, <laughs> as he waved him in. He was so excited. And had he touched him, he, Pete would have been out because they, the – the coach is not allowed to touch the players. He comes around the bases when the ball is in play. And I don't know if it was Pete or Leo talking about it years after the fact <clears throat> that he was so excited about it. He's waving him home, waving him home. And it's funny. Had I, I just visualized Leo DeRocher coming down that third base line. He was running with Pete toward the plate. <laughs> he was. That <laughs> was a neat event. Yeah, it, it was it was great. I mean, I, I remember that happening, but I remember reading years later about how Pete had Sam McDowell and Ray Fossey over for, you know, they went out to dinner. He even talked about it today where they went for dinner in Cincinnati, and then they went back to his house and everything else. But he said, you know, people think that I ended Ray Fossey's career. He said he was an all-star after that, played nine more years in, in the major leagues, won a World Series with Oakland. And he said, I don't know how I ruined his career. Well, you know, I went to the first, I went to the opening game, uh, the first game ever played at Riverfront Stadium. And I remember walking over the, uh, I guess it's, uh, the highway there, I guess it's, uh, 71 now. And for, you know, from the city over to the park. And having gone to some games that year at Crosley Field, the, the difference was just striking. And walking into that enormous stadium. And then, to, to the realization that that stadium is gone too now. <laughs> it's you know stadiums are kind of disposable. Yeah. Some of them, you know they used to last a hundred years and now they last you know thirty years. And then they but like Atlanta, I, I have no idea why Atlanta tore down a perfectly good stadium. Was that Fulton County Stadium? Fulton and then County they moved stadium. to this new stadium. And they moved to this new stadium in Atlanta. I don't know where it is. It's, I guess it's in a suburb. But that stadium was, I think, only 20 or 25 years old. Yeah, yeah, it was. I, I, I've got a friend down in Atlanta, and what happened was uh, they ran into some sort of a tax problem in Fulton County, so they moved it over to another suburb, which is in a totally different county. I think it's in Gwinnett County. I think that's what it I is. I think you're right. <clears throat> so, yeah, and I went, I went to one game in that stadium. It wasn't that long ago, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And it looked brand new. I mean, it looked like it was really neat. And people were saying, wow, what a nice place. And did they tear it down? <laughs> or I guess, are no. they keeping that stadium up? I, I, I don't know what they're no. doing with that stadium. No, they're going to tear it down. Jeez. Yeah, they're going to tear it down. Um, shameless plug time. If you're going to read two books... I've got two books for you to read. First one, nope. Last at Bat. There you okay. go. There's your shameless plug. Thank you. The second one is the new Al Michaels book that came out about a year ago. I had an opportunity to sit down and read a portion of that, and he goes into great detail about some of the stories when he was doing Reds games with Joe Nuxhall and some of the things that Joe Nuxhall got them into. 
is is a complete disaster, and how they weren't arrested and di- and weren't able to do the games the night the next night, I just don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I can oh, believe they, that about Joe. Uh, oh, they he, said he, Joe Nutsall one time about got them got them fined by the FCC. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. He, uh, I remember that game. I remember the game you're talking about. Uh, and, and the other guy who got fined um, was Tom Browning for what he said uh, on the air. Uh, but but Joe, you know, used the uh, the f bomb uh, during a, a break. Uh, he didn't know he was on the air, and yeah. a commercial, you know, <laughs> and he made some comment. They had come back in a pile. In fact, he used MF was the the, the operative term. And uh, Bob Halsam had to call him into the office, and, and Joe said he thought he was going to get fired for it, but Halsam oh, yeah. said, well, don't do it again, and he didn't. But yeah. Tom Browning said something on the air during an interview that uh, was kind of legendary for a long time <laughs> in Cincinnati for what he said. <laughs> I, I hope I hope they publicize this, but Rich Eisen is going to have Al Michaels and Pete Rose in studio coming up in the next two weeks. Oh, I can see that. Yeah, uh, yeah. I would love to hear that that interview. And Pete said, "Oh my God!" He said, "One day we went to three three dog tracks in Florida in one day." <laughs> oh. oh yeah, I'd love Dow Michaels as an announcer, and obviously he was he was pretty darn good. But his call that seventy two home run that that Johnny oh. Bench hit is legendary to this day. There she goes. It's a change yep. up and. You know. <clears throat> that was that was a great game. I mean, never forget that game the rest of my life. Mark, we're running out of time. I want to talk about two two real quick things. My my surprise player of the year for the Indians. I've really got two of them. Bradley Zimmer, who has come up and really put and really made a mark in center field. Great great player. I think it's going to be a great player for the Indians uh, as long as they don't fool around. And Jose Ramirez just continues to astound me just what kind of a ball player he is. What player for the Reds has surprised you the most in the first half? Oh, that's that's easy. Uh, the, the, our second baseman, Scooter Jeanette, uh, hitting four home runs in a game, 15 home runs at the All-Star break, 48 RBIs, hitting 315. <clears throat> and the Reds got him uh, off the, you know, the, the dirt pile. He, he was he was released by Milwaukee. So he's, he's not only the biggest surprise with the Cincinnati Reds, he's the biggest surprise in baseball. No one has outperformed Scooter, and uh, and I think nobody expected much of anything from him. Yeah, I mean, it, it's amazing. The other question that I've got for you, Mark, very quickly. Are the Philadelphia Phillies ever going to win again? You know, when that the Reds opened with them again this year, the second year in a row, and I kept looking at their team. And I think Hendrickson was the, the pitcher that day. And I said, you know, that's that's not a bad team. And if you recall, they started off pretty good, uh, the season pretty well. And I kept thinking, well, that team is improving. But, boy, they have fallen off the face of the earth. And uh, I don't know where they drafted this year, uh, but Minnesota was one. The Reds were number two. I, I, the Phillies had to be in the top, you know, six or seven draft picks unless they traded them away. But you're right. I, I don't know where that team is going. But to me, the bigger surprise, and until it changes, right now the Chicago Cubs remain to me the biggest surprise in baseball. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. And I'm not sure they're ever going to get out of these doldrums. Mark, when the All-Star game is all done, they used to start playing on Thursday. They don't anymore. They give them the break until Friday. Who do the Reds open up with? Oh, unfortunately, they open up with, with Washington and then Arizona. So over seven consecutive series, that means they will play the first or second place team. So I hate to see them get off to a bad start in the second half uh, when they're when they're going well now. But how about Cleveland? Well, the Indians, they're going to start off with a seven-game road trip. They're going out to San Francisco to play a three-game series with the Giants out at that ballpark. So it should be fairly interesting, Corey Kluber. Hopefully he'll start out. I really don't want to see him pitch tomorrow night in the All-Star game, but we probably will. Nonetheless, we'll be back next Monday to talk about all of it. Have a good one, Dave. Have a good one, Mark. You too, Mark. That's going to do it for tonight's show.
Glad you could join us here this evening on the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Don't forget to join us again next Monday night for another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. For Mark Donahue, I'm Dave Mitchell. Have a good week, everybody, and enjoy the All-Star Game.